So this morning we are continuing, continuing in our series in the first seven chapters of the book of Acts, in the book of Acts. And we're going to be on page 858 today. If you want to follow along in the Bibles provided for you under the seats, uh, I also want to encourage you, uh, they have a hardcover on them, so that means you can take notes on those sheets that we gave you when you brought in, help you to remember tidbits that you had that you want to apply to your life or verses that stuck out to you uh, or questions that you have that you want to ask me later. It's a great way to help you keep and stay engaged. Uh, speaking of those sheets, did you also ever get their $20 bill this morning? Did we get our $20 bill? If we don't, I'm sure Sharon has them in the back. I want you to hold on to those. They come into play a little bit later in the message. Uh, the only thing I would recommend is you don't store them uh, in your wallets because they look a little more authentic than I thought they were going to look. Um, and I'm afraid that one of you will take them to the store and try to spend it on accident, and then I'll get a call to bail you out of jail. I don't want that to happen. So don't put them in your wallets, uh, but do hold on to them. All right. Before I read the passage this morning, I want to give you just a little context, catch you up to date. Now, last week we saw in the end of chapter 4, the church selling their possessions, selling their property, and giving it to the church to provide for those who were in need. They believed everything that they had belonged to God, so they were happy to give it away. They were happy to bless others. They were happy to sell their property and give all the proceeds to those in need. And it's that because of this, nobody was in want speaks to the power of the church when our treasure is set on the Lord and not in our wallets. Now, after this, Luke talks about this in chapter 4, he switches in chapter 5 to talk about one specific couple who went to give, and they struggled being quite as generous. And that's what we're going to look at today. So Acts chapter 5, verse 1. A man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property. And with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? Now, while it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. Now when Ananias heard these words, he fell down and he breathed his last breath, which means he died. And the great fear came upon all of those who heard it. And the young men rose and they wrapped him up and they carried out his body and buried him. Now, after an interval of about a few hours, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter said to her, tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, yes, for so much. But Peter said to her, how is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. Immediately she fell down at his feet and she breathed her last breath. And when the young man came in, they found her dead. They carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear came upon the entire church, upon all of those who heard these things. This is the word of the Lord. So let's review what we just read. 
We have this couple, Ananias and Sapphira. They decide to sell their property like other people and then donate the proceeds to the church for those in need. Now, the only thing is they decided to keep a little money for themselves. And as Peter said, there was nothing wrong with that. This is literally their property. It belonged to them. They could do with it as they wanted. They didn't have to give the entire thing. The problem is they lied about how much they were really giving. They wanted everyone to think that they were giving all of the proceeds of this real estate sale when in fact they kept some of the money for themselves. Now this is a classic example of someone we would call a hypocrite. When someone pretends to be something that they are not. It's when we purposely show something on the outside that really doesn't match what is on the inside. And this is what we're talking about today, hypocrisy. To be more specific, we're talking about Christian hypocrisy. So if you sit here a Christian, I hope you would pay attention this morning to this message. Because as we will see, or already have seen, God does not take too kindly to hypocrisy in his church. I mean, just look at the passage. What happened the moment both Ananias and Sapphira lied about how much they gave? They dropped dead. Now, obviously, my point is not that every time we're a hypocrite that we will drop dead, because if it was the case, we would all be dead. There would be no one to preach to you and no one to listen to the preaching. But there is a case of judgment that God brings in this one case where they, they're done. God says, you're done. I'm pulling you out of the game. I tell you, anyone who says the God of the Old Testament is different than the God of the New Testament, they haven't read the New Testament. Now, someone might ask, was it really fair to kill them? Isn't God a God of grace? I've had people ask me this before. I mean, like, dude, he just axed them. It seems a little severe. Well, it is a little severe or it's wrong if he doesn't have the authority to do so. But you have to remember that Christianity teaches that we are all worthy of judgment. Romans 3.23, for we have all sinned and fallen the short of the glory of who? God. And that means we are all worthy of death. We are all, we have all committed treason against God by not following his commandments and by living a life that tells other people not to follow God. It's an act of treason. And just like it's an act of treason in most countries, in God's eyes, it's punishable with death. Now, just as the judge of the world, because he's judge of the world, rather, it's God's prerogative when to show grace and when not to show grace, because we are all worthy of judgment. So anytime he shows grace, we're not getting something that we deserve. Now, some might say, you know, why don't we see these kind of judgments today? You know, listen, maybe they happen and we just don't see them. You know, and I'm, <laughs> I was thinking this morning, I'm kind of glad we don't see them because, like, I don't think I'd have any ushers and greeters if every week they had to drag a dead body out of our church because we know every week we got hypocrisy in the church because we're humans, right? So we're, we, let's be glad we don't have this. And I don't see, you don't see it that often in the New Testament either. But I think you see it here because there was a specific goal, a purpose for this quick judgment that God was bringing down in this moment. The reason that it's so quick and so severe I mean, notice the effect on the rest of the community. It says it twice, but verse 11, it says, and great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard these things. See, judgment 
is not only a tool of justice, but it also serves as a warning for others. It was meant to strike fear. And to be honest, I'm hoping that it strikes fear in this church today, as it has struck fear in my heart the last few days as I've been looking back at my life. And I mean that in a good way, as good as it can be. Now, we often don't think of fear as a good thing. We are in this feel-good age. We live in this country where we have everything we could want and more. And so we have this belief in our Western society that everything should just feel good, right? right? This idea of going through life fearing God and the consequences of sin, they just seem unattractive to our age. An age where we're so devoted to feeling good. Fear is considered a bad feeling, so that automatically means that fear is wrong. But the Bible has a different take on fear. Because fear often pushes us or stops us or pulls us in different directions. We are often driven by fear, for good or for bad. Well, the Bible says in Proverbs 1, 7, that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The beginning of wisdom. Now, some will like to say the fear of the Lord, it means like a, a healthy respect and honor for God. And why that's true, I think most of the time, with the, the writers of the Bible, when they say the fear of the Lord, they mean fear. Boot-shaking, knee-trembling fear of the Lord. And once again, I mean this fear in a good way. Because when fear has a healthy place in our life, it is like a trusted friend. It alerts us of the dangers of sin. When we fear the holiness of God, and we fear the consequences of sin and his judgment, it prevents us from sin. I would like to say that in my life, that every time I avoid sin, it is because I think of, man, God just knows best, and this, I wouldn't really enjoy this sin, and I just want to honor him with my life. But that is not what drives my obedience to God, sad to say. Most of the time, it is fear that if I do A, B, or C, I know I'm outside of God's direction for my life, and I'm going to feel the consequences. And it's going to have devastating effects. And that is what prevents me from stepping, most of the time, not all the time, where I shouldn't step. Now listen, maybe there are better motivators for obedience, but if it is fear of getting spanked, by their parents that keeps a kid from running out in the middle of the street to get ran over by a truck, then so be it. If it is fear that keeps us on the right path to following God, then so be it. So the fear of the Lord, it's for our benefit. It's for our benefit. And it makes sense. Because if God created everything, if he designed every part of us, then he knows how for us, he knows the way that we should live to get the most optimal joy and peace and to follow him. He knows what wisdom is. He knows how things should work. So it makes sense to experience life to the fullest at which we were created. Following the designer makes sense. Most of the time we do this in our lives. We'll, we'll read the instructions. No, maybe we don't read the instructions as much as we should. But when we, we stumble around and then we don't read the instructions and then we can't figure things out, we'll go back to the instructions and we learn how to use things. It's the same way with God's word. So the fear of the Lord is for our benefit. 
It is one of the markers of a healthy and growing church. In fact, one of my favorite verses in the Bible, Acts 29, talking about the health of the Christian early church. It says, so the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit and multiplied. Walking in the fear of the Lord. We are all driven by fear in our lives. The problem is, and the reason that we become hypocrites in our lives, is that we fear man more than we fear God. We fear what other people think more than we fear what God thinks. I was thinking as I was writing this, some of you, who you're back in school now, kiddos. Your guys are back in school. And when I was in school... I'd go to church on Sunday or I'd go to youth group and I'd be praising Jesus. I would serve as an usher, you know, as a greeter. I would serve as a prayer warrior. Man, I was Mr. Jesus. I get to church, back to school on Sunday, on school on Monday morning, light switch. I was a different kid. The way I talked changed, the way I acted changed. I was a hypocrite. I was a completely different person. Adults, we do the same thing. We come in here, we spout scriptures. Well, praise the Lord. We use all this Christianese terminology that we know. I'm filled with his abundance. You know, we serve as an usher, a greeter. We teach what have you. But then when Monday morning, the rest of a week, our lives don't match. But make no mistake, you are not fooling God. Peter said to Ananias, you did not just lie to us, you lied to the Holy Spirit. This is a good reminder that the Holy Spirit is a divine person. He is part of the Godhead. He knows your thoughts. He knows what's in your mind. And we live our lives sometimes because we just ignore him, sometimes because we don't have a proper understanding of the Holy Spirit as if he is not there, as if he can't see inside our hearts. If he can't see what's inside our minds. But the Holy Spirit sees it all. All the hypocrisy in your life right now and mine, he sees it plain as day. And he reacts to it. In fact, in Hebrews 10, the writer says that we can outrage, outrage the Holy Spirit. It's a good reminder that any time we are trying to pretend that we are something that we are not, you are not fooling God. And as it says in Galatians, we will reap what we sow because God will not be mocked. Now my hope is that this fear of the Lord has your attention. It has your attention combined with the desire to serve the Lord who died on the cross for you. That you would ask him, Lord, how do I prevent from becoming a hypocrite in my life? Well, to answer this question, you have to ask a question that I have never asked myself in my 42 years of breathing until this very week. And that question is this, what is at the heart of hypocrisy? 
I mean, it's not something we think about. We think about how we don't like hypocrites. We pretend that we're not ones, even though we are, and we, we point out people who are hypocrites. But have we ever thought about what drives hypocrisy? Have you ever thought about it? I mean, what drove this lie between Ananias and Sapphira? Well, the reasonable assumption here is that they wanted to get credit for more than they actually gave, right? They wanted to look good in front of everyone. They wanted to receive that praise. They saw, as we read last week, Barnabas who gave this property. And everyone's like, hey, Barnabas, high five. You know, what a great guy. And they're like, ooh, we want to feel like that. They want to be seen in that same way. They wanted to be seen in that same light. They wanted that glory. And right here, this is at the heart of hypocrisy. It's pride. It's pride. The pride that comes from being seen in a certain light by those that we deem important. The pride of having to look a certain way to present a certain image before others. Why? Because we care what they think. I mean, when we pretend to be better than than we are, or when we pretend to be something that we are not, Why do we do it? Have you even thought about why you do that? It's pride. It's the drive to keep up a certain image in front of people that will keep us looking better in their eyes. And this is a major problem today in our society because we are, our society's in such a place, maybe it was always in this place and it's just amplified probably because of social media and the, the internet, is that we want to keep up appearances. We place such a high value on appearances to other people. We want things to look good whether or not they are. This is a desire in all of us. And you know, and it's, it's no different in the church. It's no different in the church. We often in a church try to make a deliberate deception of other people of how we're doing. And some of you, you are struggling with addictions. Some of you, your marriages are so broken, they're not even, it's not even a, a marriage anymore. It's shambles of a marriage. And you sit there and you live in the hurt and the pains of that marriage because you hide it from everybody else. Why? Because you have an image at the end of the day that you want to keep up. Some of you are struggling in other areas and you just keep it hidden. Some of you are exaggerating who you are in the church because you want to keep up an image. It's hypocrisy. And this is a struggle, especially I've seen for Christians who have been in the church a long time. I mean, when you first come to Jesus, man, you're almost proud of how much of a sinner you are. I am a dirty, low-down sinner. I am the worst of the worst, but Jesus saved me. You get excited. But then you're in the church for a while. You start serving you might even get in leadership. People start to value. You hear comments like, oh, man, you're such a, a woman of prayer or a man of prayer. Oh, you didn't know scripture. Starts to feed the ego, feed the pride. You like that. And so we begin to pretend that we're still not sinners in need of a Savior. And I'll tell you right now, I've never met a Christian that ever stopped being a sinner in the eyes of our Savior. Never met one. Now, I may have met one who makes better decisions, 
doesn't get into temptation very often, but at the end of the day, every one of us, until the day we breathe our last breath, we battle sin, we battle this pride in our hearts. But we start pretending that we don't. Why? Because we're afraid of how others will see us. Man, sometimes, I remember one of my pastors growing up with, he would talk to me and mentor me a little bit, and he goes, man, sometimes the pressure to be perfect as a pastor feels too much because people put me up on a pedestal. I don't feel like I can show my faults. Now, I'm proud to say we don't have a church like that. I can share my faults with my board. I can share my faults with you. And none of you are bringing the pitchforks and the flames to my house to try to get rid of me. And I love that about this church. Maybe you don't even know that about this church yet, that we're full of broken people, that you don't have to be perfect here. I mean, what skeletons do you have in your closet right now that you don't want anybody to see? Because you're afraid at the core of how you're going to look. What struggles do you have? What struggles with faith do you have that you don't want anyone to see? I mean, have you ever considered why you're so afraid to let people in? It's because you fear they will think less of you. They will look down on you. They will shame you. They will condemn you. And when you have this frame of mind, what you're doing is you're believing a lie. At the heart of every sin is a lie. The heart of every sin is a lie. Every time we sin, it's because we believe a lie. Oliver Wendell Holmes wrote, the sin has many tools, but a lie, listen to this, is the handle which fits them all. Every sin comes down to a lie we believe. And church, who is the father of lies? Satan. Peter says, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart with this? Why, in other words, why has he influenced you to the point that you would test the Lord your God? So you have to understand that it's the enemy's chief goal to get you to believe lies in your life. In this specific instance, to believe the lie that your worth comes from the opinion of others, that you cannot trust God. This is why Peter says we must be self Sober-minded, we must be watchful that our adversary, the devil, listen, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. And you know how he does it? He does it with lies. He will get us so obsessed with a lie, with a course of action, with an idea, and get us so carried away that we are blinded to the consequences of disobeying God. And I think this is what happened here. This is what happened right here to Ananias and Sapphira. They sold this money, they sold this property, they looked at the money, and, and the devil, I don't know what he said to him. Maybe he said, he was whispering, look, you need this money. What if something bad happens? Or this is, you're giving a lot of money already. You don't need to give the rest of it. They're like, yeah, we do need it. Or we don't want to give it up. We're given enough already. 
So why don't you just give the rest of it? Tell them, tell them you're giving it all, though, so you can receive the glory. And they believe this lie. Now listen, I want to be very clear. Because I believe this enemy, uh, Satan is the enemy of God, and that he tries to influence us, that does not remove responsibility from us when it comes to these lies in our lives. I mean, we, we forget often the admonishment about spiritual armor in Ephesians 6, 10 through 18, which is written to God's people. You gotta protect yourself to pick up the armor of God because Satan is gonna come after the church. And I'm not talking to you this armor of God that you're like battling Satan. Oh, I will defeat you. That's not our job. God already did that. James tells us how we defeat Satan's lies in our lives. James 4, 7 says, submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, and do you know what he will do? He will flee. Satan knows he's on a limited time. He ain't gonna waste his time. He will flee from you. You just resist it. That means when the thought comes in, you combat it with scripture. You don't believe that lie. Or you have trusted friends, Christian friends in your life say, this, this came into my life, I'm struggling with this, or I'm, I'm battling this right now, and you, and you confess it to them. I mean, what if Ananias and Sapphira, what if they didn't hide their feelings? How would the story have changed? I mean, I wonder how it would change if like Ananias and Peter came to Peter and said, look, Peter, we sold this property, but man, we really need them. I know I told you I would give you all the, the proceeds. And it was my choice, but we really need the money. We're hurting. Or, or, or Peter, like, look, I, I know I told you I, we'd give you all the money out of our own free will, but, but we really want to keep some. We feel like we're giving a lot. How would have this story have changed if Ananias and Sapphira were just literally just honest about what they were feeling? How would it have turned out differently? How could have Peter helped them and prayed with them? And then how could it maybe have touched other people's hearts who are having the same struggles? I think if they did, they would have never become hypocrites. And really, this right here is the key to hypocrisy in your life. This right here, this is what solves it. Own your struggles, own your sin. Be honest about who you are. Do not fake it. You got doubts? Here are my doubts. You got addictions and struggles? Here they are. Be honest. Be open with it. Now, I'm not saying you wear a sign and you walk around the church Sunday morning with a big sign that says, I'm greedy. I'm greedy, everyone. I am greedy. Hear me, O church. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, own it with those in your life that God has placed there to pour into your life. As Matt Chandler famously once said, that God has already outed you on the cross. When he died on that cross, he labeled us all a sinner. Every last one of us is a sinner. God already outed you. You're not faking anybody. We, we somehow comfort ourselves when we hide our sins, and our struggles, and we, and we think nobody thinks that we have any issues. But our sin always seeps out. Other people know you have struggles. They know you're hurting. They dance, may not be saying anything. They may not specifically know what it is, but they can see it. You're not fooling anyone. 
I'm not fooling anyone when I try to hide that stuff in my life. Own it. Own it. Own it. Listen, I'm going to pound this for the rest of my life. That doubt and struggle should never be viewed as weakness among the people of God. It's just part of the journey. It's part of the journey of God rooting the weakness and struggle out of our lives until the day that we breathe our last breath and we see him in glory. Man, we said this since the beginning. When I got here and we talked about what kind of church do we want to be, we said one of the things that we really wanted to see as our personality is that we were really authentic. We used the phrase that we're always under construction. We're never finished. We are a hot mess. As Some parts are being built up, but there's still debris everywhere. There's beams everywhere. There's glue everywhere. We're like a construction site. Getting built up, but there's still a mess. So it's okay if you're not the person that God wants you to be, or you're not the person that you want God to make you. That's okay. Now listen, it's not an excuse not to do your part. You can't just sit there and say, yes, I'm a mess, and that's okay. God loves me. No, no. Anyone who puts their faith and trust in Jesus Christ will take out his word and will be obedient to his word that they may play their part in becoming a mature follower of the Lord. But what it means is you don't have to fake it. And here's the funny thing. When you don't fake it, when you don't fake being someone you really want to be but you're not, it's in that moment that you actually start that process. You actually can't be the person you want to be until you stop faking being the person you want to be. Because in that moment when you stop faking it and you confess it, you're forced to turn to God. And then God, through his Holy Spirit, starts to shape you and mold you into the person that he wants you to be. And sometimes you don't feel like you're coming that way and you feel down. This is where the other part of Acts 9, uh, 31 comes in. You remember what we read? The church was being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord. And what was the second part? The comfort of the Holy Spirit. That means that you walk in the fear of the Lord. I will obey his commands. I will obey his statutes and his rules, but I'm also going to mess up because I am a sinner. But in the moment that you're a sinner, the comfort of the Holy Spirit comes in and says, look, there are consequences for our sin, but God has not abandoned you. You are still a child of God. Your promise that he has made to you will be completed. He still has purpose for your life, and he will pick you up and comfort you and say, now look, let's get back on track. The comfort that man, getting, becoming perfect, getting rid of the strin and the struggle and this ugliness, it, it, it's not in my own power. It's in the power of the Lord and his spirit, the comfort of the Holy Spirit. Man, when you get to this place, it's a thing of beauty because peace comes in every situation. It's okay to be broken. It's okay to have questions. It's okay to, well, it's never okay to sin, but when you sin, it's okay because the Holy Spirit has you. And his faithfulness is dependent on him and not you. That's what it means to be a mature follower of Jesus Christ. But 
You can only get to this place when you take your eyes off yourself and your eyes off everybody else and what they believe, and you put it on Jesus. Hebrews 10. Paul says, Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, that with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water, talking about the work of the Lord and the Holy Spirit, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is what church? Faithful. When you remember this and you look to Jesus, you are reminded my value is not in putting up a false image. My value is not in other people. My really real value is in the Lord and who he is. That's where your value really is at. Now, yesterday, uh, I posted on Facebook that I was giving away 20s to everybody today. Most of you that knew me, probably the new way, there was no way I was giving away $20 bills. I'm not that nice. But there might have been a few of you who are new to the church. You're like, oh, how generous, a $20 bill. And you might have been excited. Or because they look so stinking real when you walked in today, you're like, wow, that looks like a real 20. And then you figure out it's not a real 20. And it's like, oh, well, that's cute, but a real 20 would be nice. There's a little disappointment. Why? Because there's no value in it. It's just a cheap piece of paper. In the same way, when, when we're fake with other people, they may think that they're getting the real you, but there's no value in it. They're not getting you. The real value comes from when they get you in all your brokenness, in all your pain, in all your suffering, and in all your hurt. That's where the real value is. And let me tell you how. First, you might come across a mature Christian in your life. And because you're real with them, you share with them your hurts and your pains with them, you don't fake it with them, they get opportunity to take all the work that God has put into their heart, and then they pour it into you. And then they have the joy of being used by God. Let me tell you, as a pastor, I don't find joy when people come into my office and like, you know, everything's just fantastic. The Lord has blessed me and everything's perfect. The joy I get is when people come and sit in my chair and they say, here's the mess of my broken life. And I get to say, man, I'm sorry you're going through this, but Jesus can make it better. And I get to help them. That's where the value is. You know, and, and the real value in being broken is we teach other people that it's okay to be broken. If we all walk in here with this fake facade that we're fine and everything's okay, then other people don't think it's okay to be broken. You know, I was in the, I was in the Bible study this last week, and we were talking about the formation of the, of the, the Bible. And, and, and Tim, who was leading, he talked about the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And, and one of the guys popped up and said, you know, I gotta be honest, I, I don't really know the five, first five books of the Bible. And then after that, a couple other guys were like, yeah, I don't either, I don't either. And I thought that was so cool. This guy could have been like, oh man, I don't know the first five books of the Bible, I'm not gonna say anything, I'm embarrassed. But he was willing to admit it in front of 17 other guys. And because he was willing to admit that he didn't know this piece of information, the rest of them were like, you know what, I don't either. It made it a safe place for them to be real about their lives. There's value in that. And then we had a bunch of more questions from people who were like, I don't understand this. I don't understand that. It was awesome. This is the value that comes from being real with one another. Now, every one of us, and there's a bunch of more values I don't have time for. The point is God needs you to be you. 
Even in your brokenness, he needs you to be you because you never know how God is going to use your brokenness to touch the life of others. So this is what I want to do this week. I want you to take your 20. I want you to take your 20. And I want you to, what pocket do I have it in? Jeez, here it is. I want you to take your 20, and I want you to write on it. We have a bunch of pens in the back pews, in the back chairs, and I want you to write this verse, Hebrews 10, 22, 23. Now, you probably don't have room to write the whole thing unless you want to write it on the outside later. You can do that. But at least write the passage. And then I want you to take this, and I want you to put it in the place in your life where you are most tempted to be a hypocrite. Kids, it might be in your school locker. If it's in your school locker, take about six of these bills on your way out because I'm sure a kid will try to steal it. Okay, But put it wherever you are tempted to be a hypocrite. And my prayer is over these cheap little piece of papers and this verse is that in those moments when you are tempted, you'll see this $20 bill and you'll remember to draw your eyes, to draw near to the Lord who determines your worth. And I go beyond that. I pray that somebody will actually say, hey, what's that 20 doing? And you'll say, hey, it's just, it's a 20 with a Bible verse that reminds me that my identity is in Jesus and it's okay not to be perfect. It's okay not to pretend that I'm better than I am. And that it will lead you into a conversation and to a relationship that will lead someone else into knowing the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. I pray you'll do that. Don't take it home. Don't crumple it up. Don't throw it away. Because my God is powerful enough that he can use a cheap little piece of paper to help you grow in your walk with God. Amen, church.